You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Boroma. The Long Yak is back! After a bunch of spoiled yaks and wild yaks, we're back with a classic yak flavor. Okay, that sounded weird. We're not eating Goguma. Don't worry. In this yak, Borma and I talk about some shows we've started and finished over the last couple of months. Just a heads up that we discuss spoilers for episodes 1 and 2 of Hometown Cha Cha Cha, and I give away the broad strokes of how mad for each other ends because I was pretty mad about the ending. Not in the good way. So use the timestamps wisely. Thank you listeners and patrons for your amazing support. You can support us and get extra below-the-line episodes on patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. We're also doing a special patron livestream this weekend, Sunday, October 3rd at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time, and we'd love to see you there. All right, let's get yakking. Hi, everyone. This is Anissa. This is Parma. And we are doing a long yak. After a long time. It feels like it's been a while. (laughs) It has been a while. We've had a lot going on. <laughs> we, we did, we did. We have been trying to make sure that we have episodes for you, but um, Long Yaks are episodes we really enjoy, but they take up a lot of time to record. Yes. So I think the last time we published one was in July, right? Yes. Babies were born. and Oh my God, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have like, w- one nephew was born, another Chukka is on the way in our families. And then also like, I'm working on a book. And Saya and I started a new podcast, so it's just been, like, really, really intense Which, and busy. Shout out. You guys should absolutely go check out. We're going to put the link below. It's called Muslim in Plain Sight. And Anissa, said you just want to quickly explain what it's about and how you guys conceptualized it? Sure. So I was actually working on, uh, like, so I'm working on a memoir, which I'm going to be releasing soon, hopefully, which is about my experience in the last 20 years, both with sort of the rise in Islamophobia post 9-11 and all of the related things that happened with like the quote-unquote war on terror and it's also about my personal journey through like severe severe illness and kind of how that personal journey was intertwined with the public journey that we were all were on especially in the U.S. and I was talking to these two about it and so I was like hey I have an idea don't kill me what if we start a podcast like another podcast. So we decided to do it. And so basically we're of that generation of like older millennials that came of age around the time of September 11th, 2001. So we are going to be interviewing other Muslims who came of age at that time and just asking them how that was for them and how it affected their careers and their, you know, like who they ended up being. And it's because, you know, it's like that time where you're just becoming an adult and you have so many dreams about like what you want to do and then like the world changed in a really dramatic way and a lot of us just kind of disappeared in some ways and we were erased so yeah we've got like one episode is out the next one is coming out tomorrow so by the time this yak is out it'll be out we are interviewing some extremely cool people so far we've interviewed a civil rights lawyer um, a psychiatrist and also uh, G. Willow Wilson who is the creator of the Ms. Marvel series, um, who which we are like huge fans of, and she was an amazing person to interview. So definitely keep your eye out for that. I was so, so yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, Barbara was like, you have to give her a shout out. So we gave her a shout out on your behalf. 
Uh, yeah. I'm just living vicariously through these two because that, I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was, I, I mean, she was so gracious. Like, I did not expect her to say yes so easily. She's so nice. So, yeah. Apparently, sometimes when you meet your heroes, they're actually pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, for once, I expected that. I kind of thought she could be cool. So, yay. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, for this uh, long yak, we have a bit of a long list. We haven't spoken about dramas we've been watching for a while. We finished off some dramas we spoke about uh, in the last yak and started some new ones. So, before diving into the longer dramas, we thought we would first talk about this really amazing Netflix short series that's been out. And um, it was unexpected. And Anissa and I are both watching. I have one episode left. Anissa, where are you at? I think I'm on episode three. I'm watching my, with my sister. So this is DP, which is starring Jung Hae-in. And it also has... Kim Sanghyun and Sun Suk Woo. I really fell in love with in a Be Melodramatic. Yeah. He was so good in that. <laughs> uh, very different character here. But you want to like describe the premise for people who might not have seen it? So it's actually the premise itself is a bit of a spoiler because when you start off watching it, you don't know much about what the story is going to be like. Initially, all you know is that we start with the perspective of the private soldier, Jun Ho, who was played by Jang hee And he's just this, this boy who has a difficult family life and he is basically just doing a lot of part times and being mistreated by his bosses and just he's really angry but not really doing much with that anger and then he has to join the army he doesn't have an option so he joins the army and goes through like a rigorous training where he's bullied by his seniors and uh, then he finds a way to escape that particular situation by joining a special department (laughs) Yeah, it's like a special unit. So he's in, he ends up, after basic training, he ends up in the police, the military police. And so within the military police, they have this DP, which is basically like police that go after deserters. Deserter pursuit, I think. Basically, they go after people who have deserted from the army and bring them back. He ends up like impressing someone or whatever. So he ends up going on that team. And it's like a little bit of a cushier assignment, basically. Or at least he's protected from uh, people who had marked him out to bully him because he couldn't retaliate against them. So it was uh, an easier way to just get out. But he was also not prepared for what being part of DP asks of him and how it starts to make him question what being a soldier is, what responsibilities the army has towards soldiers who join them. And should they be made to feel a certain way about army and the nation? And I mean, to be fair, the drama kind of focuses on individuals' actions instead of asking really large questions. But they do ask startling questions that I have basically never seen being asked in a drama, especially because the institutions like the police, the army are generally revered in dramas. They are shown as very protective, good authority figures. Even when you're talking about problems within these institutions, it's usually down to the individuals and not larger institutional problems. But DP does talk about institutional problems. The entire idea of pursuing deserters and bringing them back makes them talk about and kind of like delve into 
an institutional issue that exists where the senior officers also know that this is a problem that is within the system and not something that one person can solve. But, you know, that is all like thematic in the background, you know, the themes that is holding up the drama. But what makes the drama so just, I, I don't I won't even say it's fun to watch. It's like it gets you hooked. It's, it's just so good. It, it's so good. The dramatic tension, the way the drama doesn't give you anything in the first episode, pretty much. And then suddenly when the action starts, it escalates so fast and in a direction you are just completely not expecting. And it basically, so it, it's a six episodes. Guys, if you really like something that is fast-paced and serious, but also has moments of levity because all dramas do, but it's essentially a really smart look into an army private's life, this is probably that drama. <laughs> yeah, it's also, you know, it's pretty dark. There's a lot of, you know, um, violence. So if that's not something that you're normally prepared to watch, just like a warning. And the tone of it is very different from anything that I've seen in a drama. It's not idealizing this in the way that so we've talked about this before there's police dramas police dramas there's a lot of them a lot of times they deal with and i would actually slightly disagree like sometimes in police dramas they do actually talk about it as an institutional problem but we don't see a lot of military dramas and when we do see military dramas it's very nationalistic it's very jingoistic and um, this type of treatment of the military is really not seen in TV. It tends to be seen in film, if at all. Yeah. But because Netflix kind of has that creative freedom that, like, it's technically TV. I mean, who even can tell the difference anymore? We're just watching everything on our computers and our phones now. But, like, technically it's television. <laughs> the format is television. But it's a very, like, cinematic. And also what I love about this is, like, not a single moment is wasted. Every single second mm. of screen time is doing something. And I love that, you know, because dramas, you know, like they do sometimes have a bit of bloat, you know, like the, just, just by nature of the format, but like, it's very tightly written. It's like you said, so smart. It has that dark humor that I really enjoy, which is, I think so perfect when you're talking about very upsetting subject matter where like, it's tragic and funny at the same time in a way that really works. Like, they really pull it off. Jung Hae-in is doing a great job of expressing oh. so many things with silence and just, like, his eyes and his facial expressions because he's playing this character that isn't free to say a lot of the things that he's feeling because he's a soldier and he has to keep a straight face. You really see that intensity and the sort of tyranny of obedience that is placed on on soldiers they really emphasize that in a very it's very well done and so you see like he's feeling all this stuff but obviously he can't say anything because then he'll be punished yeah because he, he even gets punished for like changing his expression or his tone of voice mm. so it's really so good and and just like the power play between the different people and there's a lot of subtlety which I really appreciate. Like, it's not hitting you over the head with stuff. A lot of it is subtext. A lot of it is just, like, the way it makes you feel, you know? Like, it really puts you in the position that he's in and, you ha and you're, like, very uncomfortable, mm. but in a good way. So, yeah, it's really, really good. I'm looking forward to finishing, but it's, it's like, kind of a stressful watch, so <laughs> I'm taking my time. 
it it definitely holds your entire attention you can't just like sit back and be all like this is going to be a chill experience it's not beyond just talking about like institutional issues i like that the drama also talks about you know privileges of rich kids who are also supposed to you know it's supposed to be equal in the army but it's not if your dad yeah. is powerful you can escape certain punishments behave in certain ways and some of your siblings might not or friends might not even get inducted into the army because they just you know the parents make sure that they have supplied reasons which a kid like uh, junho can't because he's from a poor family he has no escape even though he technically can't afford to not be earning for a period of time yeah so there is that but there is also this really interesting thing because I primarily watch Korean dramas not Korean films so this might be treated differently in Korean films but deserters are usually shown as volatile and like taking bombs in other dramas they are often the cause of misery and you have like dissonance of the sun for instance where like the introductory scene of the two army friends boys duo hmm. um, they uh, basically capture a deserter and then you have that uh, scene from oh what was it what was that drama called while you were sleeping where spoiler there is an incident that happens at some point where a deserter basically causes a bus to explode my frame of reference from dramas is basically that if there is an army deserter involved they are going to do something volatile and dangerous and basically endanger other people whereas dp has a very sympathetic perspective towards them and kind of shows you how the situation can get worse and worse and worse for certain cadets until they are forced to desert and what those reasons might be because they can be varied it's not just like a single thing most dramas never question the rightness of mandatory military service it's framed as this is the way things are you have to do it everyone has to do it Basically if anything does get discussed it's like oh some people try to escape from their duty but it's still your duty like the duty part is never questioned it's the morally right thing to do is to go to the army serve your time you know your girlfriend has to wait for you that's her job that part is just there as like a constant and an unquestioned thing in a lot of shows whereas here they're kind of undercutting that whole structure and being like no 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 here's all the problems with that you know and here's yeah. why actually you know you're rooting for the person who deserted because you can see like what they suffered in the army and why they should never have been there in the first place so yeah it's radical in that sense and it and that's why it's so hard to watch because you're actually seeing the abuse of the cadets by like people who are you know in a slightly superior position to them and you know the horrible things that go on yeah in these kind of places which it is hard which is why i am really grateful that it's just six episodes yeah but every one of those episodes is like you are going to be properly um rooted to your seats so extremely gripping if we have been able to make the sound interesting please go watch it cuz this drama definitely deserves a watch yes highly highly recommend yeah okay so Moving on now to Hometown Cha Cha Cha. <laughs> so how many episodes of this have you seen, Borma? I have seen everything but the recent ones. Till last Sunday I haven't watched uh, yesterday's episode which is Saturday. Today is the 19th of September. I'm basically at that halfway mark where things have gotten very interesting between our main couple and um 
the second lead has entered. <laughs> okay, so I've only seen, I think, like, most of episode four at this point, or I've maybe finished episode four, I don't remember. So let's not, like, spoil anything that happens uh, in, in the next four episodes, but let's just talk about our general thoughts. You go first, because I think you're more positive on this one than I am. I really liked it. I, I can't say. <laughs> I, <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, can't say that I was supremely optimistic after the first episode. I was a little taken aback because from the very beginning, I thought Shinbinov's character, that's Yunhejin, was really nice. Basically, she made sure that her clinic wasn't exploiting a patient by overcharging them for dentures they didn't need or something. And so that is how her character was initially introduced. And then she, of course, loses her job. And then she's basically hounded out of Seol's uh, dentistry circles. <laughs> and she ends up deciding to set up shop in this uh, fishing town. Watch the actual drama to figure out why she decides on that particular town. But she's basically shown as a really principled, disciplined, good person. The only thing that anybody might take offense to is that she's a bit standoffish. She likes her own space. She likes her own thing. She just wants like people to maintain a bit of distance. She'll be kind and like help people out, but she wants a bit of distance. And I don't see that as a bad thing, but <laughs> very quickly you realize that the drama does seem to think that that is a flaw in her character. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. I just quickly want to talk about the stuff that I love. Yeah, I have plenty of things to say about that. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, the things that I love. My God, the cinematography. Just every, you know, again, um, every scene a screenshot. It's gorgeous. And of course, like they have this entire thing set up right next to the sea. It's not going to be surprising that everything is sun-drenched and beautiful. And of course, our main leads are gorgeous, but it's not just that. The cast, the setting, and also the secondary characters. I like how over the last few weeks, they have nicely fleshed out the background characters so that they are no longer quaint village folk. They are each individual people with their own stories and their own struggles. And those struggles are stuff that Kim Sono's character, which is uh, Dushik, Hong Dushik, he knows them very well. Like he is part of their lives and, and he understands their pain points. So he's keenly familiar with them. And Yunhejin is not. Yunhejin is starting to learn about it. So it's basically a journey of her starting to empathize with the village people by when she learns about their problems and they learn her a little more. And honestly, I like their interactions. I like that Yunhejin can be really blunt about her likes and dislikes. And the village people initially take like offense to that. But eventually they realize that she's she's nice. I mean, she will be kind and she will do the right thing when put in a spot. I mean, they start liking her for who she is and not just because she came in and was all positivity and sunshine. She's, she's not positivity and sunshine. She's all like, could you give me my personal space? <laughs> Which the village people have some issues with. She does say some mean things at times, especially when she's cornered. But again, I find myself 99% of the time on her side. Like when she's cornered. I agree. She's <laughs> extremely relatable. I'm like, girl, I don't blame you for this reaction. Like, is there anything else you want to say? Because I, I want to oh, like. I just want to say one thing because. So Kim Sun Ho. 
Kinsano's Hongdushik is kind of like uh, a MacGyver. He is basically all sun and starlight and he is amazing. He's the genius boy yeah. to Shin Mina's hardworking girl. You know, that that old trope that we've seen in dramas forever and ever. The only difference is he's not also a chibol, which maybe he is, who knows. <laughs> but <laughs> the... <laughs> I like his overall personality though. Maybe another actor would have pissed me off in this particular role. Kim Sun-ho with his wide smile and his general good-humored just charm makes me like him. Not initially. In the like first episode and a half, I was a bit like, I didn't like Kim Sun-ho's character because he seemed to be unnecessarily rude and mean to Shin Mina. Yeah. But I started liking him a lot more after episode two. That's all I'm going to say. But let's hear your opinion, Anissa. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the first couple of episodes. I think, for me, what really started this off on the wrong foot, it, despite, like, so from the beginning, I really liked Heijin, uh Shin Mina's character. I think she's interesting, she's relatable, she's gorgeous, which, you know, that never hurts anybody. <laughs> but she's like, you can understand who she is and where she's coming from. And she's an interesting heroine with flaws, but I never stop rooting for her, basically, even when she makes mistakes. And she's just like, really, she's trying, you know, like she's trying. And that's all I really want from my main characters. Whereas with him, he's just mean to her for no reason from the moment he sees her. And like, I was just like, she's being so nice to you. And she's alone in this strange place. She doesn't know anyone. She has no transportation. She doesn't have a phone. She doesn't have any money. And you're treating her like crap. Why? Because she's rich? Because her shoes are expensive? I just didn't get that. And like usually in this kind of situation where they're setting up, oh, like this person is poor and they're like, oh, you're a rich snob. So I'm judging you for that. And that's sort of like the way that they get off on the wrong foot because, you know, they always have to get off on the wrong foot in a rom-com. It's usually because a rich person has done something mean or snobby or rude, but she's like so polite and nice to everyone that she meets. Like for the whole first episode, she doesn't say anything that's rude. Later on, she makes mistakes or she acts in a certain way that people are like, wow, you're being really full of yourself right now. But like in the first episode or two, she's just like a fish out of water. She's not doing anything mean or like rude. And he treats her like garbage. And I think you're supposed to see him as like a really nice guy because with everybody else in the town... He's like super nice. They all love him. He's always helping people. But because of the way he treated her, that just came off as fake to me. And because I felt like the drama was trying to tell us that like we're supposed to be on his side or I, I don't really know. It was a weird, it's just written in a really weird way where I feel like the drama is wanting me to feel something, but I'm not feeling that. It thinks that certain things are okay or they're funny or they're cute. And I'm like, no, this is really upsetting actually. <laughs> So I don't find him that likable. And even after like four episodes, even though he's somewhat, I don't think he's like redeemed himself, but whatever. Like, I'm just not really on the same page with him, but I really, really like her. And I agree with you on the townspeople. I love how you kind of are getting to slowly know them through her eyes. So in the beginning, she kind of sees them as like tropey stereotypes of village people. But then she realizes that she's kind of being unfair and also, like, they're kind of getting to know each other. You know, they're kind of, like, butting heads because they're really different. But she's getting to know them. And they're getting to know her. That part is really beautiful. And I agree about the cinematography. Like, uh, it's, like, healing for my eyes <laughs> and my mind just to, like, watch it. We watched my mom and my sister and I watched the first episode. And we were, like, really mad at Kim Sun-ho's character. 
And we're like, but it's so pretty. Let's watch another episode. <laughs> so that's literally why we get, we're like the beach. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm also happy that her friend has come to live with yeah. her. Oh my God. Yes. I'm so glad that they allowed that. Oh, I mean, that sounds so sad. But most of the time when you have a fish out of water situation, the heroine doesn't have a friend. In fact, if she's in a space where there is another prominent female character, she's usually a rival. So this was just so nice where she has her friend, she's starting a new business, she has a support system and somebody who knows her really well and can bat for her when she's, you know, like sh- she can be there for her and not just over the phone. So yeah. I'm just, I was so happy when her friend turned up. If you're worried about spoilers, guys, we're not going to really do in-depth spoilers here. We're just skating over the first couple of episodes and we're going to kind of keep it light like that. I think what's bothering me about the setup and that I still haven't really been able to dismiss this quibble that I had initially, and maybe it's not really as much of a big deal with other people. I find the way that they framed her character as the fish out of water a little bit upsetting because usually when you have this kind of character, it's someone with a lot of power. So, for example, um, Top, Top Star, Star Ubeck. <laughs> yeah, like I, I couldn't help thinking about that while I was watching this because with Top Star Ubeck, you see him and how he behaves in his life before he comes. And it's like a wake up call that he needs to have. It's like a character growth. It's very satisfying to see him brought down a hundred pegs by like the harmonies in the village and everybody who's like, I don't know who you are. He's like, I'm famous. They're like, whatever, put a shirt on. famous enough. Yeah, exactly. They're like, put your shirt back on and do some work, right? That's like really satisfying because you've seen how full of himself he is and that he needs to be taught a lesson or whatever. But in this situation... She's already in a bad situation where she like stood up for somebody's rights and she got punished for it. And now she's out of a job and she has no money and she can't get a new job. So like, why now does the drama, it almost feels like they're enjoying humiliating her and putting her in a tough spot all of episode one and and into two. And that really, I just did not enjoy seeing that. I have thoughts on this. I don't see this as a attack on Yoon Hee Jin's uh, character by the writers so much as there seems to be a general, you know how like some stories have very clear moral themes and the moral theme in Hometown Cha 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 seems to be physical labor is on a higher moral ground than non-physical labor. (laughs) You know, that there seems to be like a glorification of labor, like actual physical labor so if you're working in the fields if you're working to like what 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 were they, what were they doing peeling uh certain like sea food like oh they were like trimming squids or something uh, trimming squids yeah yeah so it's the these are things that you get better with as you do on a daily basis right so on the first episode you have shinmina's character suddenly plopped in a situation where she has to quickly earn money because she's been cut off from quote-unquote civilization or like there is no like phone towers aren't working and stuff so and she has no access to money because ATMs aren't working and she has to earn some money so she can pay someone back and then head home and so what Hongo Sheik does is he's like well work for it I'm not just gonna lend you the money and he she's literally asking for something like four dollars from him (laughs) so this is what has like actually pissed us off in the first episode it was just so petty and he's like no you have to work for it so he plonks her down amongst these harmonies who are just adorable by the way and they are like you're no good at this you should do it this way and like she does it like in a very good humored way like clearly she doesn't want to be there 
but she does it and then she gets competitive about it she's like i can be really good at this see did i cut it well and she had like cut off the head of the squid or something <laughs> it was funny because it shouldn't be of course she made it funny and it was adorable but the thing is she worked for 3 hours and earned something like 20 dollars where it was a situation where she was just stuck and like why did she have to be put in a situation to like it seemed as if this random stranger dushik decided that this woman in her fancy clothes needs to be taught the lesson of exactly. hard labor for not only no hard reason. labor but like something that she would find particularly disgusting to do you know like it, he didn't just choose any job that she could have earned minimum wage he, he was like go and trim this like really slimy smelly fish in your nice clothes because i want to see you do that. You know like it was it was weird. And also as somebody who has lived in a small seaside town, no one would ever be like you absolutely cannot give me the money later for a freaking cup of coffee. Like small town people are not like that. I could tell you that from experience. They would never be that mean when like all the banks are closed and all the phones are not like they would not do that's not I agree. I don't I know. Have, I just found that really unbelievable. I was like, okay, dude, really? I have never been in a small town or a small village situation where people haven't been like hospitality max. Usually because everybody knows everyone and they can quickly tell if your reasons are real or not, they will try to help you out. Even if let's say for some reason the cafe where she owed the money, they just are super distrustful people. People, that's fine. Why does Dusha get to decide that here is a fancy woman she must be taught the lesson of like uh labor is great because this yeah. is very weird like she is a self-made woman she clearly doesn't come from a privileged background she has worked hard to become a dentist to study really hard got a good job and then she lost the job not because she's incompetent she's actually a very good dentist but because she was trying to be ethical so this is not a woman who right. needs to and learn this like lesson right she's not like a table or anything you know she's not like the daughter of some conglomerate that's just like trying to like go around and do nut scandals everywhere like it's just so <laughs> ridiculous also it's the way they've decided to write him where it's like he enjoys humiliating her and like wasting her time so like she's like okay so tell me how can i pay this back and he like leads her around the whole town um mm. and makes her wait for while him while he's doing his own while thing he's, doing he's his like own checking yeah. up on people and she's like if you're busy it's fine just tell me where else i can go and he's like no 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 wait for me it's just really It's really gross. And I know that he gets better later on, but I I just am like why should I root for this person? And you find out later that he actually kind of fell for her in the first scene when he saw her. And the fact that it's him secretly liking her but like being mean to her, that makes it even worse to me. Like that makes it even more gross because I'm like what why are you doing this? This how all happens in the first episode. And the thing is It kind of shows like towards the very end like an epilogueish pop thing they show Kim Sonho when he first notices her and how he notices her going around the town doing kind things and he kind of likes her for it but which just makes it even harder to understand why <laughs> he drags her through coals for it's like he's trying to test her character to see if she's worthy of him liking her and it's like a very strange thing to do to an absolute stranger in the town also like how dare he like who is this punk like how who is he to make her do all of that like did, uh now something that happens several episodes later and this is not exactly a spoiler this is just a character introduction another character comes to town and 
this character is a guy and Kim Sunho is again, you know, in a situation where he has to help the stranger in the town. He does not drag this guy through the course. He just helps him. He helps him like Wow. Wow. Okay. And at which point I'm like I am so confused about your motives. What is why why what? Yeah, <laughs> what I'm so yeah, like even after four episodes this dude has given me no reason to root for him or to root for the two of them to get together because yeah. But I really love Heijin as a character, so I'll probably continue watching it. That's kind of and I like the townspeople and like her finding a home in the town and kind of like finding her place. That's really cool. Yeah. How finding her place is actually a really fun, you know, story all on its own. Even if Hong Dushik's character did not exist in the drama, this aspect of Yu Heijin trying to figure out her place in this fishing town and learning to get along with the town folk, this is this stuff is just funny and warm and sweet to watch just on its own. However, I will say that. I warm up to Hong Dushik. Like he stops acting like a prat after the first few episodes. And his motivations start making a lot more sense. He starts seeming like a really nice guy again. And if there is something that is confusing, there's actually a lot of things that's confusing about him. Starting from what is this super genius, wonderful man doing, you know, going around doing part-time jobs in this fishing town, which is apparently the major mystery of this town. Everybody is like, we don't know. Okay, so I have one thing to complain about before we can move on. This thing happens in episode five, and it's, I won't give you the particulars because I don't want to spoil anything. It's essentially a question of social class, where you have Yun Hae-jin's character starting to have feelings for Hong Dushik, and she's very conscious of the difference in their profession and their class. Now, that is something that you kind of start to expect from this character because she has, in her mind, worked very hard to reach the professional level that she has. And she wants stability and like she has a very clear, very dry idea of what she wants in a partner. So that conversation comes up and it's a very interesting conversation if done well. It's not done well. It's not done well. And this is yeah. something I really want to complain about, but I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. So we'll talk about this again, I'm sure. I, I think I'm not surprised by that just because I feel like the writing is very inconsistent and kind of confused about how it's addressing these issues. And it's also framing these characters as if the person with a higher social class is always going to be wrong and they can never have legitimate concerns, at least from what I've seen. Which isn't necessarily true, right? Like, especially when it comes to education, for example. So, you know, like, if you're interested in somebody or you're talking to someone or you're dating someone and, like, it's very common in a lot of relationships where, like, if the woman has more education, the guy has problems with it and it ends up being, like, a reason for him to, like, humiliate her or put her down or, like, have an inferiority complex and take it out on her. And sometimes that even turns into abuse. And, like... Obviously, why wouldn't she have concerns about that considering the way he's treated her from the very moment that he met her and realized that that was a difference between them, right? Like, <sighs> of course she would be worried about that. I would be worried. I'm worried about that for her. Like, honestly. <laughs> a, a better written drama would probably have addressed all of this concern taking his behavior into account. This is not that drama. This is a drama where the girl makes assumptions and says mean things to the boy only to be proven wrong. 
and I will not say anything more. We will come back to it next time we talk about hometown cha cha cha. Let's put a pin on this. Yeah, let's. Yeah, even from what I've seen, I feel like we're just going to be asked to just forget his behavior instead of him being taken account for his behavior, which bothers me. Anyway, let's move on to the next drama, <laughs> which is. Which is police university. And now, again, it would have been nice to have Saya here because she's watching this drama and I'm not. So, Anissa, <laughs> go on, tell us about it. Yeah, so I kind of stopped watching this. I, I got to like episode eight and I just, there wasn't a solid reason why I stopped. I just kind of lost interest and or was like too busy with other things. I don't think I'm enjoying it quite as much as Saya. For me, it's like a weird mix of like really charming characters with really great character dynamics. So for example, it has Cha Tehan as this cop that has broken the rules one too many times and ends up teaching at a police university. And then a student who like ran across him earlier and they had like a bad impression of each other and now he's become his student. So there's like this tension, but eventually they become like mentor and mentee. That relationship is like super sweet. It has a lot of the great mentor-mentee beats, which I really enjoy. And those two actors are actors I really love anyway. Or actually, no, I would say Chatean I really love. And one of my complaints about this show is that they're not doing his character justice when he can, you know, do such a great job. Whereas Jin Young, I haven't really loved his characters before, but he's so good in this. He has like such a relatable puppyish kind of look in his eyes and he's like kind of a bachata he's like has like a sad story but it's he's so like earnest and he and he has you know such a great journey of like figuring out what his morals are and what kind of a cop he wants to be and when is you know and like whether it's okay to break the rules and like that's something that he wrestles with and he has to like figure out who he wants to be and how what kind of a friend he wants to be and what is he going to do you know in his career and his future like obviously it's a police drama so there's a lot of like pomp and circumstance with the police stuff which you know uh. but <laughs> i really love his character i don't really like chatean's character because he does a lot of really problematic things and it's just kind of written off as a quirk of his character like he's just hot-headed and you're like no he's a terrible cop like he deserves to be punished but also crystal is in this and her character is also really great she's one of the other police recruits i love and she has a love line with jin young that is like they're so cute together also like they have that thing where they like slowly get to know each other better and then like so they become friends and then it's just really cute. It's really cute. And they like support each other as classmates. And, you know, the best university dramas kind of have that like gang of students that are yeah. just like going through life together and, you know, dealing with all the stress of university. And, you know, it's it's just really, really nice. And they have a lot of physical training, too. So that kind of has that underdog sports drama vibe, too. So that's all really good. I just find the writing to be really inconsistent. While the character stuff is really well done, the plot stuff is really not written that well like it's it's whatever it's like very generic you know murder mystery type stuff but that's fine i don't i don't think i'm going to continue watching it just because like i kind of just got bored but like it's not problematic necessarily it's not like bad it's just kind of like a middle of the road police university drama i was just interested in this because of crystal whom i really liked in bride of her back she kind of totally stole the scene and I've seen a few clips of this drama, of course, and she's in every one of them and she seems to be amazing. So this one's definitely on my watch list. I'm hoping I can get to it <laughs> soon. Yeah. Also, like, I really love, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but like Jin Young's character, he's the main lead. Like, he's basically the hero. 
his parents died and then this man like took him in and he already had a son that was the same age as him. Uh, and so there's a, like an interesting dynamic that he has with his adoptive family where he mm-hmm. kind of feels beholden to them, but like he really loves them. And but his dad is like, I'm your dad, <laughs> you know, so like that whole dynamic is like so moving. And like, I love how he is with his brother and with his dad and how they are with him. And it's really well written. That's what I'm saying. Like the character stuff is really, really well done, except for Chatehan's character, which for some reason is just... I don't know. I feel like they're just not trying very hard with this character. But yeah, it's, uh, I I definitely would recommend it. It's a fun watch. It's just not, you know, I think also like, I think I was telling Sayash and I was also talking to my sister about this, but like ever since I finished Vincenzo, nothing else feels good enough to me. Like, you know, I I felt like this after I watched Misang too, where I was just like, nothing else is good. I just want to watch Misang again for the first time. And I kind of feel like I just want to watch Vincenzo again for the first time. (laughs) Uh, we've like started and dropped so many things which are just like uh it's not Vincenzo, it's not Vincenzo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is sad <laughs> so I feel like I'm holding everything to like an unrealistic standard of greatness now Vincenzo was just something different <laughs> out of this world yeah, it's, it's yeah. Just, it was just very different very special yeah but I I kind of I love Vincenzo but I could move on <laughs> And one of the dramas that I've been really religiously watching is Hospital Playlist 2. <laughs> um, I did not mind the, you know, one hour, 40 minute durations of each episode. And I was quite happy living with this group of friends while they just went on their day-to-day things in the hospital. They, like, I'm, I was thinking back on the entire storyline. And of course, you know, there have been some career developments but not really like i'm talking about hospital playlist one and two Hmm. they are pretty much where they started off from the only real arcs that have happened are like the romantic relationships in each of these characters lives by the end of the drama everybody has like set paths some of those paths kind of take them slightly in a different direction but they are essentially Right where they kind of started career-wise. Plus, they're all in love. They're all in love. That's like the only thing that has substantially yeah. <laughs> changed. <laughs> yeah. They are all paired off. So, therefore, you know, that's that's the ultimate happy ending. But I, I realized looking back on it, I watched 24 of these episodes. And they are like almost two hours each. So, that's like 48 hours <laughs> of hospital playlist. And what was the plot of this drama it was like no plot (laughs) the daily life of really smart compassionate doctors i don't i don't mind that i actually really like this thing like when you talk about slice of life stories there tends to be like an arc i like that this was basically slice of life from the lives of really busy specialist surgeons And it's focused both on like primarily on their work life, because that's where they spend majority of their time, but also on their friendship, which is like the most important relationship in their life and a bit on their romances. And that's it. And I don't know, because because it was in the hands of writers and directors who know how to make small moments interesting. I enjoyed the entire ride. All 24 episodes, nearly 50 hours of it. (laughs) I think so that's interesting because I describe this show as like aggressively slice of life (laughs) and 
I'm actually, I think out of the three of us, the one that loves Slice of Life the most. Uh-huh. I I've sometimes yeah. described it as my favorite genre of K-drama. But this aggressively Slice of Life way of doing it, it's just not for me. And what I mean by that is it shows us so many parts of their daily lives where I'm like, literally, you could have just skipped the scene. It doesn't need to be here. It's just here because they're like, oh, we're going to show everything. I mean, they're not showing everything, but you know what I mean, right? Like, they show them, like, uh, walking to their cars, driving their cars, buying coffee, uh, you know, like, forgetting their doing phone those... and coming back for it. Yeah. So they're doing all these, like, little details of life um, that you normally don't see in a drama. Sometimes that's enjoyable. Um, and I think especially because these cast members are so good and so charming, we do just enjoy watching them on screen. But I think, especially in season two, I feel like season one even though I was had some issues with the way things ended up at the end, like I enjoyed season one a lot more just because I felt like more happened from a character development perspective. And you got to see more of like the five main characters lives. Whereas for, I feel like there was a lot more focus on the patient stories in season two. And like some of them worked really well, but I feel like because it was just, they added a lot of characters, right? So in season two, they added a lot or like they went more into some of these like resident stories and the fellow stories and like, you know, some of their coworkers stories. And like some of those ended up being stories that I really enjoyed. Like for example, uh, Doji Hak who works with Junwan, his, you know, like the guy who always follows him around like a puppy, you know? Yeah. His story with his wife and everything like that ended up being such a moving story. And like in season one, I just found him annoying. I was like, go away. You're annoying. But you know, like you kind of see more levels and more layers of their friendship as it goes on. And that was actually a really sweet friendship. So some of those worked really well for me or like the two residents or are they fellows or residents? I don't know. The ones that work with Songhua who are like they get together in season one. Uh, the girl becomes a fellow. The, the Her boyfriend, the other resident remains a resident because he took a year's gap. Right. I love how you know all the details, but they their story was cute. I found them to just be like genuinely really nice people and I enjoyed seeing them. So like that was all nice. <laughs> like the proposal scene was so cute. I loved all of that, but I just, I just feel like because there were so many characters and then also like there were a lot of patients that, that drama somehow expected you to remember all of them and keep up with their stories. Um, and that's just a lot to ask, especially when you're taking like two weeks in between episodes sometimes, or like these, you know, like there's one patient who comes back at the end of episode 12 and it was like really moving, but I had to like really think about who is this lady and why why are we crying? I also just feel like there was so much good in there that I would have enjoyed more if they had been a little better at like condensing the episodes. But because they were very relaxed and uh, they weren't editing very closely. So I was actually watching season two with my, my family and around like episode seven, they were just like, no, we're not watching this anymore. So then I ended up, I dropped it and then like, I saw you guys were still enjoying it. So then I went back and I like kind of speed watched some parts. And I kind of ended up resenting the show for that because I feel like I would have enjoyed it so much more if it's just been like tighter and, you know, not requiring me to give up two hours of my time on something that I didn't feel like had enough story for two hours. But that being said, I think the ending was perfect, though. I loved the ending. I was really happy with the ending. So... Especially like episodes 11 and 12, I think were really, really good. So yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Your turn. <laughs> so 
I agree with you. <laughs> they <laughs> did like super indulge themselves when it uh, came to just like long run times, probably leaving stuff um, in that could have been edited out. However, I think the reason that happened was because of a lack of tight storylines. Like with the Answer Me series, which is the only thing I can go back to really because I I haven't finished watching. What was that? Prison Playbook? Oh, yeah. I also haven't seen it. But that. even then, Prison Playbook, I, I remember it having like a pretty uh, clear plot line. Not so with Hospital Playlist. It's like they watched Korean medical dramas and thought they don't actually talk much about the doctor's lives. They just keep talking about hospital politics and how to save the hospital from evil conglomerates and, you know, from like evil board members who just want to create geriatric wards to <laughs> get rich people money where we should be helping poor people. That the morality play is what most medical shows center around. Hmm. Whereas the creators of Hospital Play is that Shin Won Ho and... Ivo Jung, they just decided we want to tell the stories of doctors doing their daily thing. However, because they want to tell like an optimistic story where people do their best and they are, you know, compassionate max, they decided that the setting was going to be a really well-funded university hospital or like a teaching hospital, which where the doctors are all very well paid. They can put in this kind of time because they are being compensated for it. They can be compassionate and kind and give a lot of thought to each and every patient because they have top quality equipment. Whenever they can think of a procedure, all they have to think about is does their skill level match up to the challenge and not, I don't think I have the equipment to do this procedure. They don't have to worry about running out of OTs because there are too many surgeries happening and not enough OTs. Facilities is not a problem. Money is not a problem. All of mm -hmm. these doctors who are geniuses in their own fields have been given the best possible facilities. And this story kind of explores the daily and lives. And also they're like happy workaholics. They like love to be at work. They just work all the time and that's totally fine. It doesn't take the toll on any of their relationships. <laughs> they're just... That's that's the other thing. They, the way these doctors are shown to be working and it that is shown as like a positive thing. Of course, doctors are going to be in the hospital 24-7. They want to all take a trip together. Four out of five of them are going to be asked to come back because of, there are emergency surgeries, which is actually really unrealistic. Unless you are in the ER, your surgeries are usually, usually booked like weeks ahead. So if you're taking a weekend off, this is just a very odd thing where five of them went on a trip and three of them got calls about come back, emergency stuff is happening. That just usually doesn't happen. But um, this in this particular hospital does. The point is that the showrunners seem to have decided they want to tell the stories of really dedicated people who love their job, are excellent at it, being given the best facilities, all of the support they can possibly have. They never have to fight their bosses or anybody higher up to get certain procedures done, to get certain things passed. Like if they decide that certain procedures are to be done in a certain way, everybody around them supports it. They are never questioned. It's a very idealistic uh, situation, but also possibly just because it's idealistic doesn't mean it's unrealistic. Like if you put really smart people in a facility that allows for so much, um, 
it's perfectly possible that they will be able to work at their optimum capacity without like facing burnout too quickly. Songhua technically did face burnout. So she decided to like take a break for a year. But then her break was <laughs> very weird. She kept coming back to Seoul <laughs> to do like regular operations because she just couldn't stay away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, there are definitely, this is not a perfect deal. But because the story was more about focusing on how these people who are very interesting people and funny and they love each other and they are genuinely positive, you know, good people. How would these people, they get to work with friends, which is like the best thing, honestly. And they are each in their own field. So they don't even butt heads. They just work well together and adjacent to each other. So like in every way, this is like such an ideal situation. And if you give them this situation, how would their daily lives be? There would still be struggles. They would still be losing patients. They would be helping certain patients. Certain patients would be difficult to treat. Certain patients would just like give you joy, like while you're treating them. All of those things happen. And because it's always a matter of life and death with most of the patient stories that you have in this drama... There is an element of tension just because the characters, even if they are introduced briefly, their stories are introduced effectively enough that you you are immediately invested in our, our doctors being able to solve their problems. But the showrunners just decided that we are going to spend all of the time given to us showing the in-jokes, like private jokes and on meta-references and on like focusing in and out of these friends and their reaction to each other's I don't know statements and jokes and the same behavior over and over again because that is what happens in real life and we are going to do this until their life becomes like a tangible thing in your mind where you're living their daily life with them and to me this worked not everybody enjoys very you know sharply edited uh shorter format storytelling Mm. Uh, it doesn't even have to be shorter format like quick pace storytelling like i do it has its times but when i get to hospital playlist i watch it in chunks like in 40 minute chunks over the week i enjoy how like chill it is it's no dp it's it's super (laughs) chill i i watch it and i'm like tension oozes out of me i feel like i i am mildly tense about something happening on the screen but i just like these people so much i'm always rooting for them and there are sometimes it's not just about the five friends it's about the residents around them and about the nurses or the emergency staff and the showrunners are like look we'll tell you what happens in their lives too and the story actually picks up a bit because now you're seeing things that are no longer about just the friends (laughs) no actually um that was one of the things i enjoyed more about season one is i felt like you got more of that because i actually do enjoy that like whenever the so i would like speed it up to like 1.25 and then when it would be a scene where like the friends are just hanging out i would put it back to normal speed because i was like this is what i'm here for so i loved like all this scenes where they're just like sitting around and eating and like complaining about how Sungwa and Junwon always like eat all the food and like making them wait and like that was that never got old for me I was like yes I'm enjoying this like I loved all the um oh and like the song choice yeah in episode 12 that's like one of my favorite songs and I was just like oh this is a perfect song but I think for me like 
So I understand that they were trying to show, like you said, all of their daily life. And I did, I actually really enjoyed getting to know the other residents and the nurses and stuff. But I just felt like in this season, the patient stories were kind of a mixed bag. Some of them were really moving. I really enjoyed them. Like, especially like that storyline with the two mothers who both had their babies in the, Mm. you know, waiting for a heart transplant or a surgery. And like one of them was waiting longer, but the other one that I was like sobbing, like that was so good. But I feel like especially toward the end, we saw so many patients where we didn't quite get to know them very well. Yeah. And it like wasn't it wasn't like the, that the situation itself isn't a sympathetic situation. Of course, like always it's a sympathetic situation, but we didn't get to spend enough time with each patient. And there were so many patients that it just became like, okay, one surgery after another, after another. And, I, and it was like, yes, maybe this is how it would feel if you were that doctor. But I also don't want to sit here and watch an episode, which is like half surgery. It feels like, you know, it just became too much. I wanted more of the you know, just like the interactions between people like that stuff, I really do enjoy like that slice of life. But you know, like it's like you said, your mileage varies depending on <laughs> what you fair, enjoy. Like when they have how long are these average like 100 minute episode, they have 20 minutes of just sur- surgery. It's not like a static scene that's just dropped in the middle of the story. There are usually stakes that are just beyond the patient. Something is happening somewhere and that is connected to the surgery scene. You might not initially know about it, but by the end of the episode, you would have realized something. Maybe uh, one of the doctors assisting our main doctor, they are having some kind of a personal crisis. And by the end of the story, we find out what crisis that was, how it connected to the surgery. A lot of other things. There there was this brief moment, for instance, and I really enjoyed that episode where they were basically talking about how the emergency staff are not really given much credit. Like an accident victim comes in um, and they are immediately treated by the doctors on the emergency ward and then they are moved on to, you know, get their major surgeries. And so when the relation of one of these patients is asking, like, when was my, you know, family member's life most at danger... Was it when this surgery was happening because that person had like two uh, simultaneous surgeries or was it when this surgery was happening? And I think it was Junwan who said that I think his life was most at danger when he first arrived in the ER. And the reason he's alive is not because we did such amazing surgeries, but because the doctors at the ER saved him. Without their initial treatment, Mm -hmm. he would have never reached our table. And like, that is something that needed to be said by a character like Junwon because he's like clearly, you know, all of these five doctors are given like godlike authorities. Their voice has power. So when he explains something like that, you immediately think, my God, you're right. Like when they initially reach the ER, that's the most critical point. They could just die on the ER. And that is shown by like this young resident's mild resentment when he later goes to visit a patient and the family are like fawning over this other doctor who was part of the surgery but completely ignores him even though he was one of the first doctors to attend to the patient and how an older doctor is like I don't even think about that because what matters is that that patient survived that may be true but you do want to be acknowledged you are part of the reason this person is alive that is just something that you want acknowledged also that other storyline about the nurses, their struggle and how they Mm. interface with the patients. And the thing is that there are episodes of these dramas, including the final episode, where it just feels like the pace is as slow as molasses, that nothing is happening. We just 
everything is so slow however there are like majority of the episodes even though it feels slow there are threads kind of connecting scenes to other scenes and it just takes a while to come together and because i know that there there is foreshadowing happening i know that something that niggled at me right now will be resolved 30 minutes later i stay invested now this type of storytelling will of course not work for a lot of people because who has the patience <laughs> Turns out I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think this is a good place to leave it. I think especially that last 20 minutes, mm. you know, where it goes dark and then yeah. you have that last 20 minutes of episode 12, I think was perfect. So it, I'm, I'm happy with like how it ended its story, especially because they were like suddenly announced that season three isn't happening. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, are they going to do a weird ending where like they didn't know it was going to be the end? But no, they gave us a really good Um, everything was tied up really well. I, I did think so, though I would say that it felt like they put in certain patient stories, possibly because they were trying to finish up those patient's arts. That felt a bit out of place, like maybe it would have worked better with more context in more episodes, but it felt like they dumped a lot of patient stories together in the final episodes that didn't really need to be there. So that was honestly the episode 12 was the first episode in like, practically the entire series where i felt like unnecessary bloating happened i you could have taken out a good 20 minutes and it would have been the same episode just well that shorter. was one of multiple episodes that were two hours long this is why I was, i'm just like two hours yeah. in, in the last episode especially like the middle-ish period i felt it because as you pointed out by that time we had kind of forgotten the faces of some of these patients that they were bringing back yeah. and they were bringing them back abruptly which I thought might be because their stories were not supposed to end there. Their stories were probably supposed to be ending in a, you know, another season. But instead, they had to be brought back because the showrunners had affection for these storylines and wanted them to be completed. Mm, maybe. Yeah, that's my theory. Speculation, guys. <laughs> okay, I think we should move on to the next uh, drama. Absolutely. So the next couple of shows that we want to talk about are like shows that we've mentioned before. I've finished them up. I don't know if you have. The first one is At a Distance, Spring is Green. You're still watching this, right? I'm still watching this. I'm halfway in. And I'm really enjoying it right now. I have to say with the after first couple of episodes, I had kind of paused because I was anticipating or dreading a triangle, like a love triangle cropping up. I really didn't want that to happen. So I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> and then I was reassured that that is not where the story is going. And I could finally, you know, start watching it again. Yes, there's more tension around the class project, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry, I had yeah. to bring back the group project. I just feel like <laughs> that's my brand now. So I'm not going to go into like any spoilers, but I will say... I really loved its depiction of friendship and of that feeling. The whole kind of theme of the drama is how people always say, oh, like the youth is the best time in your life. University is the best time in your life. But in reality, at that time, you're struggling. A lot of things are really hard. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. There's a lot of tough stuff that comes along with being, you know, age 20 or age 21 or whatever. Mm. And it just kind of goes into all of that. You know, like you have one character who's struggling to deprogram himself from an abusive family situation and have like normal relationships with other people. There's somebody else who has basically shut down all of his 
desires for friendship and rest and like anything nice in the world because he just feels like he has to go to school and work hard to provide for his family and like that he doesn't have the right to have anything for himself. And then you see him having more friends and taking more time for himself. And then you have another character who's like not very confident about herself and always puts herself last, learning to like reach out for happiness. That part of it, I mean, there's also romance. There's not a love triangle, thankfully. The romance is really cute. It wasn't my favorite part of the drama at all because I feel like what it really does well, like even with the side characters, all of the side characters are so funny and interesting and like a memorable even characters that are introduced and you're like, wow, this person is a jerk. <laughs> they grow on you a lot. The depictions of like relations between parents and children are really moving. The dialogue is so good. Dialogue is excellent. Um, it also has like just this really great contrast between like a super bubbly like soundtrack and aesthetic where it's talking about like really dark and serious issues which is like so on brand for youth, honestly, <laughs> like that's just feels like it works for me. Um, I also really like the ending. There's like tons of reluctant bromance. So like I was telling Saya, you need to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it's just a really beautiful coming of age story. The romance is strong. It's in super this strong. Yes. But, but also for once, this bromance makes so much sense in that the last time I felt this way about a bromance was probably school uh, 2013, where you could see why these boys needed each other so much and why their contrast was a good thing. And it wasn't just that they were thrown together and they are rivals, but they keep having these mm. pseudo romantic moments. It's it, This is not that kind of bromance. It's It's more like they sense something in each other that the other doesn't have or they can see each other so clearly where other people can't and that makes them vulnerable to each other mm. but also attracted in that they want to be... I mean, I won't say both of them want to be near each other because clearly Nam Suyun does not want to be near Yujun. But... Um, and not in the beginning, yeah. Not in the beginning, yeah. He just wants like to be left alone. But he has sympathy for Yojun and he sees through his facades really quickly. But Yojun is just, my God, he's just crushing me, this boy. It's just how this boy has so many, so many layers. It, it, it just pains me to see him with his family because his behavior, you can kind of see his conditioning since childhood and you can see so many things like what he wants and how he wants to be close to them and how he knows that what's happening is wrong and how he kind of blames the wrong person for it. And, and also how he has internalized those yeah. toxic uh, ideas about like what love looks like and what being a family looks like. It's so well written because he is kind of toxic in the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. and like we have a really great post up on the blog by listener and friend Mary Sue. Definitely check that out. We'll link it. It's really great character study of like Yojun's character and the things that are wrong with him and also why he's like a, such a good character. But you actually have him doing harmful things because this is what he learned. Like he literally says to the girl who eventually becomes his girlfriend at one point. She's like, this is wrong. He's like, this is what I learned. Like, this is what I've been brought up with. And she's like, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> you know, like, so you have these moments where he has to face the fact that he learned bad lessons about loving people and what, what you're supposed to do in relationships. And yeah. he wrestles with that. And he has to come to terms with that. And he has to realize, oh, I'm like traumatized. I can lean on other people and they're not going to like hit Butcher me and me. hurt me and yeah, destroy <laughs> me in response. Like, I can be vulnerable to others. 
You know, and just that whole defense mechanism of like how he uses smiles and money as a shield Mm. from the world is not something that I've seen before, or especially not done this well. Agreed. Especially because he leaves himself vulnerable to be mistreated by the people he is constantly paying for and constantly like placating because he wants to be liked so badly he Mm. allows himself to be mistreated just to avoid confrontation and that is just uh but all of that said i am just really really happy i got back into watching this this is almost cathartic to watch in, in a way because you can see this boy is in such a toxic mind space but the people around him like especially his new friends They have their own struggles, but they can see his toxic space and they call him out on it. And he really needs to be called out. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with where the story is going right now. Before we move on, I really want to give a shout out to the actors. Because most of these actors, other than Kang Mina, who plays... um, Kim Sobin. Kim Sobin, who is really the only actor that I knew going into this. Played one of the friends in True Beauty. She is fine. I feel like probably my only complaint about the drama is that her character didn't get quite as much development as the two male leads. She's also just like a less interesting character. But I hadn't seen Park Ji-hoon before who plays Yo-joon, even though he's not a rookie, like he's a K-pop star, but he's done a lot of like childhood acting roles. And you could see that he's an experienced actor because he just like changes his expression when he drops that smile and he goes like straight face, mm. chills. Like he's such a good actor. Who else would be able to pull off that terrible mop of yellow hair? Oh. That's a good but question. He does. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, Ben Hyuk, I've also never seen before, who plays Namsihan. He's so good. I just want to say here that Ben Hyuk just blew my mind, not just because of this role, but because parallelly, my roommate, his Akumiho, was airing and he was playing the second lead there. And his character was a chable boy who's like super into his own looks and thinks that he's like the thing and should be chosen by the female lead. Personality-wise, the diametric opposite of wow. Nam Soyeon. And I did not recognize him when I was watching At A Distance until like... I think two episodes in and I was suddenly, I know his face. Where do I know him from? It's incredible. This boy completely changed. He was playing two different people. He was two different people in these two dramas. I just realized that I've also seen him somewhere before and I totally forgot that I had seen him. I did not recognize him. So he was one of the like spies in Uh uh, The Spies Who Loved Me. You know, like in in the agency where Eric works, that like young spy who does like the tech stuff, like that oh he makes God, the glasses and stuff. Him? Yeah, I did not <laughs> make any. Like he just transforms into whatever role he's doing. Because oh I remember when I was looking at the cast and we were like looking at the preview, I was like, oh yeah, he was in that drama. He was cute in that, but like he didn't make like a big impression because his character didn't have that much to do. I just yeah. liked him a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. These two are like super rookies. Oh wow. Power rookies. They're gonna be amazing as they, they are get more going roles to be in a lot of dramas in the upcoming years. And I also gave a shout out to Kwanan Bin earlier. Mm. She plays uh, like a supporting role. She's also great as Nam Sihan's childhood friend. Yeah. That has a crush on him. <laughs> so. She's super cute. <laughs> I She's love. Great. I, I really, really, really like all of the supporting characters, including uh, Yojun's very interesting brother. <laughs> I just yeah. But the one exception to that is like the third roommate that lives with Youngran and um, Sobin. I just 
Me I did too. not like her character. Yes. Yeah. I just really, really dis- disliked her character. I, I just don't understand her. <laughs> That's baffling. Yeah. yeah. Just really baffling. I don't know what they were trying to say with that character. I don't understand like the way that character ended up like just kind of a waste. But other than that, everything was perfect. <laughs> I love the music too. Oh, the music is really, 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 really good. <laughs> It's really yes. Good. And it, it comes in exactly the right moment to properly underscore emotions, which not all dramas could do. Yeah, it's a very well-directed, well-scored, like beautifully shot drama. So points for that. Because a lot of times these youth dramas are like, well, just not, not on the same prestige level of production. So yeah, but we are really happy with this and highly recommend <laughs> Yes, I'm always happy when I can like finish a show and be like, I was very satisfied with the ending because it doesn't happen very often, unfortunately. <laughs> Speaking of which, on a sadder note, um, I finished Mad for Each Other quite a while back. Um, and I realized that I haven't talked about it because I think the last yak we did was a while back and I had only finished like 11 episodes. So it takes like, a really weird left turn in the last couple of episodes. So it's 13 episodes. I really just disliked how the episode 12 and 13 basically undermine the majority of what the show seemed to have been trying to say for all like 10, 11 episodes before that, where, you know, it's about like healing from your trauma and like rising above aggressive or unsafe that, you know, like, so this guy, he's in treatment for anger management. And the reason he's there is because he committed police brutality but at the end, he kind of seems to be proven right in his style or He's like brutal to the right people. Yeah. So like it's OK suddenly because in his instincts about who the bad guys were are actually correct. So like it's totally fine that he was like beating people up and hurting them uh, as a cop. And she's supposed to just like, I don't know. It was also weird because, you know, like rom-coms always have either a really bad misunderstanding or like a breakup that happens and, you know, like the romance was perfect. The breakup happened for a really good reason. And I was like feeling it. But the way that they bring these two characters back together is so messed up and so upsetting. It's so problematic. And it also like doesn't make sense. So, yeah, I'm sad to say that it was a disappointing ending because I really, really, really loved like the first 10 episodes. And yeah. the leads were so funny. And it had such like, a healthy perspective about like, you know, getting psychiatric treatment and like how that feels and and like you know, what are the nuances of that and and it just yeah. all of it goes out the window. So that's really unfortunate. That does sound really really bad. I am still stuck at around episode eight with this one because that's around the time when they start justifying what the main lead did. Or rather, you know, that's that's where the arc started going. And I could kind of um see that this was going to be it was not where I wanted the story to go. So I kind of mm. paused right there. And now, of course, I kind of don't want to go back, even though, as you said, really enjoyed. I would really actually, this is one of those weird situations where I wouldn't say don't watch it. I would just say like, watch it until like the happiest part of their romantic arc and then just stop. <laughs> <laughs> How do I know when they have reached happiest? <laughs> uh, I guess like kind of that first episode or two where they've gotten together. I can't remember now where it was. Like mm. maybe episode eight or nine. I think that's good. Y- you can, you know, once it starts going into like the truth of behind the reason that he got fired and that it was really all a conspiracy, like you can just stop. <laughs> you don't need to go beyond that. There's also something that's interesting that started happening very early on. And this is something that I have a problem with. We've spoken about this before where, you know, disability in men in K-dramas is treated as if they're either solvable by love 
or they cannot exist in a physical form of course i can't and if it's a mental disability it's it's a trauma thing that can absolutely be solved so the thing that i found really interesting in the first few episodes was how he clearly had anger issues and it wasn't just about the police brutality like when there were triggers he would literally like react badly throw things around bang on things and then start counting to himself to keep himself under control that just happened in the first couple of episodes then it never happens again he's the chillest guy throughout the rest of the drama <laughs> and i'm like this why did you stop it was doing such a good job yeah yeah I, part of me also wants to say like even if they had stopped after these two break up i would have been okay with that actually because I know it's a rom-com. It needs to have a happy ending. You don't want to like betray the premise that you started out on. So I get that. And like, I also agree that you should keep the promise that you you made to your viewers, you know. Um, but I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner in the sense that it made so much sense for them to break up, even though they loved each other. It felt so real that I, I think they just were like, how do we come back from this? And mm-hmm. keep it consistent to like who we've made these people be for the rest of the drama. And they couldn't. And they didn't. And they tried and it just didn't work. So they were like just, we'll just yeah, so scribble just off the cliff. happily ever after on the last episodes. And everybody will be okay with that, no, right? it just went like <laughs> batshit insane. Aww. Dang it. We can warn for spoilers because I did yeah. spoil a lot of stuff for that one. <laughs> but I feel like people deserve the fair warning. So... Okay, so the next thing that we want to talk about was a Chinese drama that I watched. Now, if our listeners remember a couple of years back, we watched Find Yourself and Sai and I went a bit bonkers about it because we loved it so much. And I kind of started watching The Rational Life because it seemed to have a slightly similar premise in that the female lead was doing really well in her career the male lead was someone young and just joining the workforce and their relationship initially is him helping her and him learning the ropes of the job and i mean that's kind of where the similarities sort of end between the two stories but like what i sort of liked about the trailer of the rational life is how it was all about uh shenruzhin kind of being a woman who is very confident about herself she's in her i think late 30s in the story and she does not like she's tried dating she's really not interested she's she doesn't want to get married she is very competent and good at what she does and she wants to focus on that and she doesn't understand why she has to live by social conventions that force you to do certain things at certain points of your life so that's her but she's also a very kind and hard working person so when she faces a professional setback she's fine to start with step 1 again she doesn't have like a overly bloated pride where she will not deal with that situation she does and because she's so competent she is rewarded in that like she meets a mentor who sees value in her that's how the story goes so It was really satisfying to watch her professional arc in the workplace and a lot of the story takes place in the workplace. It's actually really fun. But it's the romantic arc that I just briefly wanted to talk about and it's with this character called Shi Chao. Now, I think Shi Chao was played by uh, Dylan Wong who I watched him in uh, Meteor Shower first where he's this flower boy, the head flower boy. What was his name in uh, Boys Over Flowers. <laughs> that was the Eamon Ho character. <laughs> In the Korean one, he was uh, Gu Jun Pyo. 
Gujan Pyo. So he's 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 uh, Dylan Wong played Gujan Pyo in like the latest Meteor Shower uh, iteration. Or Domyoji in the original Japanese. Right. So th- this one was Chinese, and he was fine there. I mean, he didn't really have to flex too much in terms of like his acting muscles. He was playing this cute, spoiled, chival boy, not like the hardest character <laughs> to portray. Zhijiao, though, was more complex, where he initially, when he is, he starts to work for uh, Rujin, he has some mild prejudices in that he's fine to be told what to do and he appreciates competency. So as soon as he realizes that this is a boss who knows what she's doing and when she, like, she's fair, he's very loyal to her. And that is their relationship for like, 70% of the drama and I honestly enjoyed that part of their relationship so much and it was kind of why I was fine with them moving to a romantic relationship because I have reservations about stories that are basically about boss and subordinate romances mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what the gender are when there is a power difference I mean it does matter what the genders are but when the power difference is as much as it is in this drama or even in find yourself where the boss is like she can literally fire him any second and he really needs the money for this job yeah it makes them very like it makes his character very vulnerable to exploitation which is why I like that the there was no hint of interest in either of their side for like three-fourths of the drama and she starts off in a position of a lot of authority and power but because of her career setback she is put in a situation where she's basically demoted like 10 levels it's like a horrible situation and he out of loyalty to her goes with her he doesn't have to but he shifts departments and goes with her and they become a team she's still his mm. boss but she no longer has an authority to like control his life so they act more as a team like she teaches him how to do the work properly and he learns quickly until he properly becomes her right hand man and all of this stuff creates a dynamic where they depend on each other more and more until it starts spilling out of work life into personal life. They start mm. depending on each other in their personal life as well. And when eventually interest sparks and they like each other, they also have to battle the fact that there is more than a 10-year gap in there, you know, between them. And society doesn't see it very well. And Rushin has a very difficult relationship with a very, very difficult mother. Like she... By the way, the actress who played her mother is just... She plays her in a way that I will never forget this character. Like, she is very quiet and she is... Like, she is a woman who is a... She's a teacher in the elder university. Like, she is her own person. She earns for herself. She's very dignified, all of that stuff. But when she gets mad at her daughter, and that is frequently, she can scream so suddenly and with such impact, I... I have that to, sounds terrifying. It is terrifying. It is terrifying. Like the first time she does it, I literally like gripped my seat. It was like that was a physical response I had. It's it's a response of a child who's like who has been shouted out shouted at as a child and just and you can see Rushin's immediate contraction. Like she closes her eyes and braces, and you know the kind of childhood she had. It mm. was not a fun one. And that was difficult to watch. However, their relationship 
does get better. And because all of these different relationships and not just the you know central one, uh, Rushan has a friend, uh, Jiyan. She is a housewife. Like she used to be someone who would travel a lot, but her husband is is like a workaholic. He his he's based in I think they are in Shanghai. She gives up that life and she becomes like tries to become the perfect housewife, but she doesn't want children. She hasn't figured out what she wants to do with her life. And there comes a crisis point where her husband is like, you're just sitting at home doing nothing, at least have a child. And she's like, you told me you were fine with me the way I was. And now you're saying that I'm useless. Do you even know how much do you around the house? I mean, it's, it sounds like a, a, a storyline that we have heard and seen over and over again. But it's done really well. Like the husband wife's dynamic. It's not like the husband is evil. And it's not like the mm. wife is, you know, uh, irresponsible. They have their own perspectives and they don't, they, at some point, their perspectives started like differing enough that they couldn't see eye to eye anymore. It was a story about how they come back and start appreciating each other again. And all of that, I just really liked all of it. Like how all of these different romantic relations, honestly, I can't think of anything that I have that I can complain about because I had stuff in Find Yourself that I found really difficult to watch but not in the rational life. And of course, the rational life isn't as gripping a story as Find Yourself was, but I still think this is a really enjoyable, cathartic watch for anybody who really likes, you know, uh, stories about women in the corporate world where, of course, sexism and stuff is happening, but she is just so competent, they can't stop her. <laughs> and yeah, there's, also, <laughs> there's also a rude Nuna romance happening, but like slow burn, very, very slow burn. Yeah, that sounds really great. I, me and my sister have this on our list to watch together when we have time, but it, we just haven't had time. But like, since you told me about this, and we also had like recently watched the trailer when you were like, this is really good. You should watch. And so I was like, okay, we definitely have because we were like, ooh, this looks good. Uh, and now that you've you finished it, right? And you you liked the whole thing. I also like dropped find yourself halfway through because there were things about it that were really annoying me. And um, that male lead just doesn't work for me. It's just like, <laughs> I, it's just a it's just a thing like sometimes you just don't click with an actor and for me he's one of those that I just don't click with but this looks really good so I'm looking forward to watching it for sure yeah oh I actually did think about something to complain about but it's so petty it's actually not worth mentioning it's just basically about um how convention expects them to behave when they uh start dating and how people treat her much younger boyfriend because he's still figuring out his career and sometimes the story decides to fall back on conventional ways of showing that he's the man. And um, I kind of wish they hadn't because it kind of walks back certain things that the show had been pushing in terms of, you know, feminism and awesome men who are cool with strong women. Um, but, you know, those are very petty minor things and they don't detract from my overall enjoyment of the show. All right. So this was... Um, uh, again, sorry. <laughs> All right, so that was our long yak. Um, let us know how you have been enjoying these dramas. If you've been watching other dramas, definitely let us know about them. If you think we should go back to some dramas that we have dropped, maybe tell us why. <laughs> yes. And you can find Dramas Over Flowers on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find Anisa. You can find me at Anisa Khalifa underscore on Twitter. And you can find Forum on Twitter at Festa Fasta. You can also find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. 
Also, please email us with your feedback, your complaints, your voice notes, anything, your squeeze um, at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. You can find our website at dramasoverflowers.net. You can also look us up on Facebook if you just type out Dramas Over Flowers. And please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, the link for which will be provided below. Yes. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more shows you'll love, please go to frolic.media slash podcasts. All right. And that was our episode, guys. That's it. Have a lovely drama watching month. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.